Well, I want to uh, share with you a, a first grade. I love kids, and um, especially love the little kids. And, and uh, we have to be careful because sometimes little kids say things, right? Um, there was a show many years ago, big kids say things too. Uh, years ago, there was a, a show that, uh, uh, that they talked to little kids, and, and they tried to you know, get them to say some different kind of things about life. Well, a first grader asked his mother a very important question. And the first grader asked his mother, he said, Mom, where did I come from? So the mother took a deep breath and thought, okay, he's only in first grade, but I know they teach kids things pretty early in school these days. So, so she began to have this very difficult, detailed conversation about conception and about you know, coming together and, and how children are conceived and, and how they grow inside of a, of a womb and, and ultimately how they're born. And after about 30 minutes into this conversation of explaining the birds and the bees to her first grader, he kind of stopped her very bored and said, Oh, well, my friend Jimmy, he's from Orlando. <laughs> if you've ever had a conversation like that, it's kind of hard. And sometimes it's kind of uh, been there, done that. Well, like you, I get a lot of questions. And um, uh, those questions always go across the spectrum of, of life. And one of the questions that I'm asked often is, what is God's will for my life? Maybe you've asked that question. Um, what is God's will for my life or what is God's plan for my life? They're kind of synonymous. And, and that's a question that is, is really important uh, that we have to find an answer to. And, and how we live our life is contingent upon our discovering the answer to that question. So it's a powerful question to ask. It's one that we all should ask. But it's also one that, that we should pursue in our covenant relationship with our Creator to discover the answer to the question, what is God's will for my life? The Apostle Paul was, uh, was one who uh, thought that he had discovered God's will when he was a Pharisee, uh, when he was a lawmaker, a lawgiver, a keeper of the law. Uh, but it wasn't until he had this experience that, that, that he came in contact with the risen Christ. And Paul began to realize that God's plan for his life was a lot different than what he had originally thought. And Paul writes some very powerful words. Uh, he made his life writing to churches that he was beginning in that uh, region of, of, um, uh, of the Palestine region where he was launching churches. So Paul was actually like the first evangelist. He was like the first uh, powerful one that planted churches, the apostle who uh, made lots of churches come to life. And he spent his life uh, as a believer, helping those churches to work through a lot of messy stuff that they were confronting, like the ways of the world versus this following Jesus. What's, how, how do we live in that tension? So Paul, through his letters, was giving encouragement. And he gives those same words of encouragement to us today. And he writes this when, when he's thinking about addressing and, and sharing how to understand God's will for life. He says these words. He says, be very careful how you live. So that says to me that, um, that we need to be um, um, understanding, we need to be aware of choices that we're making in life. We need to be aware of how we're living our life. He says, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. That's there to remind us that, that Paul was real big in helping us understand where to have the mind of Christ. That when we give our life to Jesus, when we are transformed, that we no longer think of ourselves. In fact, ourself is the last thing that we think about because we think about the love, the will, and the work of God. So Paul says, make sure that we're making wise decisions, making the most of every opportunity 
because the days are evil. So every day we have a confrontation. Every day we have a choice to make. Every day something comes into our life where we're gonna have to either be wise or unwise, where we're gonna have to be careful how we live, where we're going to have to choose and see to live into the will of God. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So Paul is giving us a, a huge statement here that God's will is not some super secret thing, that it's not something that we should have to struggle to find, that it's not this uh, code that we have to break in order to know what God's will is. In fact, we shouldn't have to struggle so hard like we do so often to figure out what is God's will for my life? What is it that God wants my life to be? Why do we find it so confusing? I think a lot of times we fall into misconceptions because I think if I were to take a poll and say, what do you feel God's will is for your life and, and what's behind that and, and how do you know, I'd probably come up with several hundred answers because all of us have an idea or a thought of what we think God's will is and especially what God's will might be for our life. But we've gotta be careful that we're not succumbing to these misconceptions. Here's a, here's a misconception. Sometimes we misconceive that God's will is, is a feeling. If I feel a certain way, it's gotta be God's will. If it, if it makes me excited and something I'm all in wanting to pursue, it's gotta be God's will, but is it? Are there things that can excite you? Are there things that can, that can tickle your fancy? Are there things that can uh, drive you into choices in life that might benefit you, but maybe isn't God's will? And that's the thing we see. So it, it's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. You know, some people will sit down and they'll just say, if I just clear my mind and if I just black out everything that's there, then all of a sudden that first positive emotion that comes to me, that's got to be God's will. I have a friend who goes about asking life questions. This is no lie, life questions. He sits down with his Bible and he starts flipping through the pages like, like you would a deck of cards. And then he says when the feeling's right, he puts his finger in there. And then he opens it up and he says, this must be God's will to the answer to my question. So it's not a feeling, and we have to be careful when that happens, and, and because sometimes what we think and what we feel, that can be influenced in so many th different kinds of things. The situation that we're in can influence our feeling. The, the, the um, anger that we might have to somebody might influence our feeling. Um, those situations that, that maybe aren't the best situations for us, but because for some reason it's getting us excited inside may not be the right thing to do. So we understand that God's will is not a feeling. The other thing is God's will is not a formula. Some of us look at it, if I just do this and this and this, and I do keep this, this, and this, if I just do all those things, the formula says that I'll be in God's will. But that's not true either, is it? What's some of the greatest struggles that Jesus had in his ministry? It was with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were formula people. The Pharisees said, it has to be this way, then this way, then this way, and it has to be about this law and that law, and you have to honor this and honor that, and you have to do all of these things. Who was Jesus angry with the most? The Pharisees. Because he, had, he began to say to them, wait a minute, you're missing it. 
It's not a formula to understand what God wants in your life. It's not about doing this and this and this. And Jesus began to introduce grace because what happens is when we stick to life as a formula, when we say that I have to do it in this order and I have to do all these things and dot this I and cross this T, we're not taking into account at all our humanity. Last I looked, none of us in this room are perfect, right? Not even the guy talking with you. In fact, he's probably the least perfect, okay? And that's why God's funny when he calls us to ministry. So we have to take into account our humanity. And when we take into account our humanity, formulas don't honor something that is one of the greatest gifts of God, which is grace. Because a formula says there's really no room for grace because it's black and white. There's no gray area. I have found in my own life that, that sometimes there are multiple decisions that could be made that could honor the will of God, and it's not just one. And the question becomes, which one prayerfully am I led into? So if these are some of the misconceptions, then, then how do we know? I mean, when Paul says that in our mind we should know that we need to be careful, that we need to discern what the will of God is, what is Paul trying to help us to know with it? What's the truth about that? And I think what he is saying is because, remember, Paul is modeling his writings on what he's understanding Jesus to have said. Paul is not adding to what Jesus said. Paul is just reiterating what Jesus said. So we don't have a doctrine of Jesus and a doctrine of Paul. We have a doctrine of, of God. So Paul says, when he looks at the life of Jesus and when he understands his experience with the Lord, he says, how do I know the will of God? God is about fellowship. God is about relationships. God is not about rules, but God is about friendships. And God is about understanding me and me understanding God. And when we have that kind of relationship, it's impactful. He writes to the church in Corinth, he says, God is the one who invited you, so God invited all of us into a wonderful friendship with his son, Jesus Christ. See, God initiates that. You and I don't. God initiates that. It's called prevenient grace. You hear me talk about it all the time. And it's the grace that precedes any knowledge or any connection that we have with God. Before we know God, God knows us. Before we love God, God loves us. And God is constantly wooing us into his presence. And that's why in those moments when, when, we, when we feel so far from God that we can never get away from the presence of God. Because God is constantly there. And he's constantly moving us into that. God's will is not a set of rules, but, but God's will is a relationship with him. It's not a life map. It's a lifestyle. It's the way you live. It's not an agenda. It's the attitude that we have of God. When, when, when you study the scripture, you, you find different kinds of ways of understanding the will of God. Um, and, and sometimes we look at that and we say, but it's not really clear cut, but really it is. Because we put too much into it. We want to frame scripture to go the way that we want it to go. And when we want it to go our way, it may not be God's will. So we have to really look to see what is it that God is saying. Oftentimes, scripture compares our Christian life to a marriage. Um, you know, Jesus calls the church the bride of Christ. 
We see Paul talk about in Galatians and in Ephesians, he's talking about the relationships between you know, those in marriages and husbands and wives and, and how we're to, to be together and, 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 and honor one another in these very holy relationships as he begins to speak of that. And then I think, and I go back and I think about when, when Patty and I got engaged, and um, I always had a really tough time expressing the right words. Um, I always tell her because she was so beautiful, she still is very beautiful, that she just takes the wind out of, out of me and I just don't know how to describe it. And, and she always says, ah, oh, Bob, you know, you're being corny. I'm like, no, no, I'm being serious. So y'all can go, aw, if you want. But, um, but <laughs> thank you, Felix, I appreciate that. <laughs> but, but, you know, sometimes I had trouble expressing those words. So here's what I would do. I'd write her little notes. I'd, I'd get a card and I'd write her a handwritten note, and I, would, I, would, I found a way that I could communicate in writing better than I could verbally. And um, so in those early years when we were dating, then we got engaged and all, she would be bombarded with cards and letters and notes from me, and, she's, and, and, and it, was, it was really great. But you know, we've been married uh, almost 34 years now, and I think Bassards are getting ready to come up to 52 as well. And um, so we've been married uh, almost 34 years, and, and I gotta tell you that today, I don't have to write down notes anymore. I just do what she tells me. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I, I don't, because 99% of the time, I'd be willing to say she knows exactly who I am, right? She knows what makes me happy. She knows what makes me sad. She knows what energizes me. She knows how to comfort me. See, that's, the, that's, that's why the Bible uses marriage and, and, and relationships as such a, a big deal for us to see a relationship with God. Because when we know somebody, when we're in a relationship with somebody, we know them. And our relationship becomes whole and full to the greatest ways that it possibly can. But here's the deal. God says that, that um, my will is in my relationship with you. And when you know me, you know my will, but there's three attitudes that come into the way of us even knowing the will of God. And these are things that I think we really need to safeguard. So as we're, as we're talking today about, you know, what is God's plan for my life, these are some of the things that, that if we can be aware that, that we struggle with these three things, then we can know how to recognize that they're there and move through. The first one is that some of us are fatalistic about God's will. So God says, don't be fatalistic about my will for your life. Don't be fatalistic that, that I have a plan, of a desire, a, a, a love for you in your life. God says, don't be fatalistic about that. This is the attitude of what will be, will be. It's what I call the Eeyore. Whatever is gonna happen is gonna happen. It's God's will. You know, I have no control over it. It's just gonna be what it is. I'll just suck it up, buttercup, and be okay. You know people like that? Yeah? So, so fatalistic about God's word. But you know, when we're fatalistic and when we're saying, well, it just is what it is, we, we have some problems that come with that. First of all, let me just say this. It's unfair to God. Stop doing it. It's unfair to your heavenly father. It's unfair to your redeemer. It's unfair to the Holy Spirit to put all of that blame fatalistically on the one who loves you. 
You know, why, you know, God, well, it's God's will that all those things happen. Well, it's God's will that, that, that you know, those hurricanes and, and, and earthquakes went through El Salvador. It's God's will that somebody's going to get leukemia. It's God's will that another border child is going to die. It's just all God's will. Stop it. Stop it. It's not. When I say it must be the will of God, what I'm really thinking of is, is I'm, I'm thinking that, that God is responsible for all the bad things. And then all of a sudden, I, uh, we start getting into this the little game of, of, well, when something goes right, man, I'm lucky. When something goes bad, oh, God, what'd you do? And it's a challenge. There's, there's freedom that comes with understanding but we can't be fatalistic about these things. God gets blamed for the bad news. Lucky gets the praise for all the good things. Scripture makes this clear. God's will and God's perfect will is not always done here on earth. If God's perfect will was done here on earth, guess what? The earth would be a totally different way. We would be totally different people. But God's will isn't always done. And that's why Jesus said, I want you to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So whatever is happening in heaven, which is God's will, it needs to happen here on earth. So whatever is happening here on earth needs to reflect the will of God in heaven. And Jesus taught us that prayer and said, we need to do this. When we take this fatalistic attitude we basically say that, that we're puppets, that God is just kind of pulling the strings and we're just kind of going along with, well, whatever, you know, God's just pulling my strings. And we're forgetting one of the great gifts that God's given us. You know what it is? It's called free will. I heard it. The will to choose, the ability to choose. God wants us to choose to love him. God wants us to choose to follow him. God wants us to choose to be holy. But when we say, I didn't have a choice, it was God's will, he's in control, my marriage went into the toilet because, well, that was God's will, or my kid went on drugs, well, that was God's will, or, or I lost my job, that was God's will, it's not. It's not. We don't grow, though, when we pass the buck and we blame God for all the bad. Part of our journey as, as children of God is taking responsibility for our actions. We choose, and those choices that we make, unfortunately, at times, are not good choices. And yes, when we make the wrong choice, it does have an impact on our life. It does have impacts on our marriages. It does have impacts in our addictions. It does have impacts on all of those things. But it's the person making the choice. And therefore, we need to help those individuals know the will of God. That God is about love. God is about restoration. Jesus said these very words. He said, if anyone chooses to do God's will, he'll find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. The key word, chooses. If you choose to do God's will. It's a direct quote. So we have to stop passing the buck and we have to move forward with that. God revealed a lot of his will when, when he gave you a brain and, and he gave you a brain and God said, I'm gonna give you some intelligence. I'm gonna give you the ability to, to understand things and to make choices. And God didn't say, I'm gonna give you a brain for you to go put it on a shelf. He said, I want you to use it. 
And I want you to enter into a covenant with me. And I want you to see the greatness of my love. And I want you to see that, that in the midst of the mistakes and the bad choices that you make, that I am a God of redemption, that I am a God of restoration, that I am a God of grace and forgiveness. If you'll just come to me and confess your sin. And more importantly, you see that cross? I hung on that. So that when you do make the wrong choice, you know that there's a way back. And that way back is with me. So don't be fatalistic. Don't, don't be fearful either. Don't be fearful about God's will. For some people, uh, the subject of God's will scares you. It frightens you. It gives you the heebie-jeebies and you're all nervous and, and you get defensive and you, and you start running from it. Maybe God's gonna send me to Africa. Well, let me let you talk to Carolyn Goodwin, our missionary. Yeah, maybe God will. Oh, well, what, what if he makes me become a religious fanatic? What if he makes me raise my hand in worship? Oh, what will people think? Thy will be done. So why are we afraid of knowing God's will? Because it's gonna cause us to change. Listen, I... You know me, I, I, I understand what change can do and the, the freedom that can come from that. And I also know the pain that comes from change. And I'll confess to you as, as your pastor and as a pastor of churches, there's, there's decisions I've made that were the wrong decisions that change caused harm. And, and, but, but what we've got to understand, though, is that there are times that, that change has to be addressed. And we have to look at how we can grow from that. Because we're not static. We're dynamic. God is not static, but, 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 God is, but God is dynamic. So we get to that point of understanding, you know, what is it that we're afraid of? Well, sometimes we're afraid of that. We're afraid of change. We're afraid of criticism. If I, if I follow God's will, I'm going to get criticized. When I answered my call to ministry, um, I had some folks that were in the industry that I was in, and, and I kid you not, one of the partners that I had in, in, uh, in our Atlanta office, his words to me were, you're going to leave all of this to be a pastor? Criticism, following the will of God. We're afraid of commitment. If I follow God's will, God's going to make me commit. God's going to make me put God first and not everything else. So the root of that attitude, fear, is the attitude that we really doubt that, that God has our best intention at heart. That's really what it is. When we start questioning and we start doubting, when we start get feeling uh, eerie about criticism change and, and all that, we're not really sure that, that God has our best interest at heart. You know, we trust, I had a friend who said to me, Bob, I trust God with everything except my money. Because I've made it. God can have everything else, but not that. So, so we, we fight that. It's, a, it's an interest. God has our best interest at heart. How do we know that? Let's go to what Jeremiah the prophet said. Jeremiah says this. He said, the, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to harm you, plans to make you crazy, plans to have you criticized, plans to destroy you. No, he says, plans to prosper you and not, not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Plans for you to wake up every day knowing that God is in my life and I have a plan. God has a plan for me. And my life has purpose 
and I can be all that I can be for God. Here's the third one. Don't be frustrated. Don't be frustrated with God's will. This is where a lot of us find ourselves today. And maybe for many of us, this is where God's will is confusing. We can't seem to figure it out. I don't know what God's will is for my life. I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying, but I'm just not hearing it. Folks, that's a real place where some of us find ourselves. Whether you are a believer, a lifelong believer, or whether you are just scratching the surface of the door to get in on the faith journey, we all have that question. Why won't God listen to me? Why can't I hear God? All I've asked is, what should I do? And it's like, you know, crickets. Where's God? Some of us are resentful about God's will. We, maybe we did something, we prayed about it, and we thought, you know what? Ah, this is it. This is going to be it. This has got to be God's will. And then we do it, and then it bombs. It's just like not good at all. What happened, God? I felt so good about it. I just knew this is what you wanted out of my life. And we get resentful. Maybe we look at other people and we say, man, they are successful. They are the first one that gets the promotion and the job. They get, all the, they get the corner office. They got the this and that and the other thing. And they, they're, they're, they're not even a Christian. They're a non-believer. And they're successful. And look at me. I believe and I trust and I'm having a hard time paying my bills. Okay, God, what gives? We see that too. We get worried and confused about God's will. But let's go back to Paul. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who what? Love him. Does God work in just a few things? One or two things, a couple things? God works for the good. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And see, that means that God works in our problems. That means that God works in our pleasures. That means that God works in the things that are going right in our life. It means God's working in the things that aren't going so right in our life. And that even in those things that are devastating and terrible and things that cause us to question and fight and things that make us want to just run and hide, God can take a bad situation and work something good out of it. The worst things are never the last thing. And God can work through that. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible. And I love the imagery that it uses. And one of the things it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. There was a song that was written about that, thy word. I think Amy Grant sang it. And we gotta understand, what does that mean? So, so in the ancient world, you know, they didn't have Duracell batteries and flashlights and lanterns and all that kind of stuff. They had oil. And what they would do is they would take little lamps and they would tie them to their sandals and they would light them and they would walk one step at a time and that lamp would light the next step. And the interesting thing about it was we, we learned that, that Jesus said when we put a, high, a light higher, it does what? It illuminates more. But as you're walking through life, this is a great metaphor for us to understand. Sometimes understanding God's plan for your life isn't all conclusive right now. Sometimes it's a one day at a time journey. 
And that's what it's going to take, one day at a time. And as you're walking on that journey, remember, God walks with you. God is the source of your strength. He is the impact of your life. And therefore, as we draw closer to God and walk with God, we know undoubtedly God's plan.